0: today? Wow! Okay, five of you. Uh, it's always an encouraging service when five of you are doing well. Uh, anybody doing all right? Come on, you ready to say the word of God this morning? Wow! Come on, life is good. Broncos are going to the Super Bowl. Praise God. Still on the throne. Uh, Hey, I just want to mention real quick, uh, Ben, who was just up here, I want want to give him props, he and his wife Rachel, they're close friends of ours, have been for a long time, but but just like so many other families in our church, they're volunteers, he is an officer in the Air Force, they work jobs, they're busy, busy, busy people. And uh, but they are, are serving their tails off, reaching our high school and reaching those students and building an incredible team of leaders around them, young adults, all of them, uh, young families, got kids, all that, but they, they, they love your students, and they love our high school, and doing their best to try to reach the sea. So if you guys could, come on, let's give it up for them. I appreciate. Ben, Rachel, their team. Cool people. All right, Year of the Bible. Hope it's going well. I, I've been hearing a lot of cool stories from people, couples. I, I was actually, and uh, just in passing, got to talk to a couple last week, and they stopped me and they said, "Hey, I just want to let you know that that we're doing the Year of the Bible, but the, but we we didn't actually start at the beginning of the year. Like we missed a couple weeks, and then we just realized, man, we, we probably need to do this, and so we committed it. We committed to it, and and they they said, man, we did it this whole last week. We've been it in, and. In, and they're like, man, it, is, it has changed our lives. It's changed our days. We get up in the morning. We do this together. And it, it just changes our whole day. It's changing our marriage. It's changing. It's like, it's like wow, well, like the word of God really works. And you're like, yeah, duh. But, you know, but the point is this. I'm just telling you, It's true. And maybe you, you might have missed it, you may not, you know, and, and I've, I've talked to people, they're, they're doing different things. Some people are reading through uh, the Bible chronologically, which is cool, or they're doing the one-year Bible. That's what we're trying to encourage everybody to do as much as possible, so we're staying on the same page. If you missed it all, it's okay, start today, it would be really good. I know in the Old Testament, there's a lot of weird stuff. There's some weird jacked up stuff in the Old Testament. I mean, how many of you guys are thankful we're, we're outside of Genesis? Because in Genesis, there's some weird stuff going on. And, uh, and some of you you thought, man, it'd be a really good idea to read this out loud with our kids. And then you're like, no, we're just going to do New Testament, I think, for a while. Because it, it kind of freaks you out a little bit. There's some whacked out stuff back in there. But, but it is all so good. It's good to be in. Today, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments. Because this next week, we're going to to hit on Exodus 20, which is where the Ten Commandments are, are talked about. And we're only going to talk about five of them this week, and we'll, we'll cover the next five next week. And we're going to get to that. But these, these Ten Commandments, really, they're ten values. They're ten values. And that's what I want to convince you of today, that this is not a list of do's and don'ts. This is the heart of God communicating to us, His kids, and what it means to live life and live life to the full. But they were written in stone, even though we break them. Uh, and probably everybody in this room has broken some Ten Commandments. Hopefully not all of them, if you know them. Uh, Don't make me nervous, but, but I would say eight out of the ten, probably all of us have broken at least eight out of the ten. Okay, let me just ask you this. How many of you guys ever lied before? Come on, raise your hand, even your raised... Okay, and anybody that didn't raise your hand? Okay, so got everybody in the room, busted, uh, we've all broken a commandment at one point or another, and, and uh, we need God's grace, how many of you guys would say, you need the grace of God in your life, you need his mercy, um, because we all make mistakes, reminds me of the story of a young man who was, was not a good little boy, he was probably 10 years old, and disobedient, and having a tough time, you know, kind of in one of those stages in life, and one day he came to his mom, and said, mom, I, I want a new bike, I want to get a new bike, and his mom thought, okay, maybe this would be like a good coaching, teaching moment. And she said, I'll tell you what, you go and, and you spend some time with God and, and be really honest about how you're living and whether or not you're being obedient and being respectful and, and making good decisions and all that. And be honest and just write down the, the things in your life, that, how you're doing. If you're struggling, just be honest and write those things down. So the little boy went in his room started writing this letter. Dear Jesus, I've been good the whole last year. He knew that wasn't true. Crumple that up, threw it away. Start again. Jesus, I've been good most of this last year. Most of this last year, I've been pretty good. Can I have a bike and realize that wasn't true either? To so crumple that up, threw it away. Re- start writing another one. Okay, Jesus, I really want to be good. I- I'm trying to be good, but he knew that wasn't true either. So he threw that away. Now he's just frustrated. He Remember, his next-door neighbor was a Catholic. So he went outside, went into their front yard, and they had a statue of Mary. So he picked it up, took it back to his house, wrapped it up in a towel, stuck it under his bed, got on his bed, started writing another letter. He said, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, you're going <laughs> to give me a new Bible. <laughs> That's good stuff. Look, they're called the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. Uh, and it's for a reason. But your perspective on it, makes all the difference in the world. Like these are things that carry from Old Testament to New Testament. In the Old Testament, they're written on stone, which is a, it's a picture of the Old Testament. So much of the Old Testament was about the external, right? But the, but the Ten Commandments apply in the New Testament too. But it's supposed to make this transition in the New Covenant through Jesus where it's no longer just written on stone, but it's written on our hearts through relationship. I love when Jesus was talking about the commandments, really. He summarized everything with two statements. All of the law, everything in it can be summed up in two things. Love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. But you have to understand that the perimeter perimeter set in the Ten Commandments, it's for our good. It wasn't God trying to control us, trying to be a killjoy and just make it so where we don't have any fun. But your perspective of God and how he did that in your own life is going to make all the difference in the world. Most of us, we know the story, right? Charlton Heston has the Israelites in the desert because that's how we see it in our minds. But they'd been in captivity for 400 years. They were beaten down slaves of the Egyptians. God raised up Moses to help the Israelites exit out of Egypt. That's where the name of the book comes from. So they they get out. They're being chased by Pharaoh. Uh, He helps them cross the Red Sea on dry ground, parts of the waters. We've all seen that movie. Get to the other side and they they go to a KOA at the base of Mount Sinai and they're camping out there for a bit. And but here's the thing. They had been in a pagan culture for 400 years. You can see some of this happening in our culture right now. Where there is a drifting away from God's original intent. So Moses knows this. Moses knows, okay, your people, God, they've been under some some influences and in, And so I need to get instruction from you. Being in that pagan culture, it influenced how they dressed, how they acted, what they ate. Most importantly, how they worship. It had influenced all those things and not in a positive way. I mean, back in Egypt, I mean, there were orgies. Your neighbor was someone you could just go and make your slave. So these are obviously not the types of things that God Wanted his people to be doing. So Moses goes up the mountain to, to get some instruction. Okay, God, we gotta start getting this thing back on track. If you skip ahead, we get into Leviticus, which is a so much fun to read, but but in there, <laughs> over six hundred laws, right? And you're and you're thinking, man, what in the world is all this about? So much of it is about readjusting the trajectory of God's people in their health and in their lifestyle, because they'd spent 400 years away from God's plan. So, so much of it, it's God's heart to say, I want you to be healthy. I want you to be whole. And that was God's heart behind the Ten Commandments. But, you know, if we watch the movie, the Ten Commandments, it's like Moses is up there with his flowing locks, and the fireball comes from heaven and hits the rock and starts writing the Ten Commandments and, Moses is horrified and falling back and all this. But here's the thing. You read the word of God. It says that God met with Moses and wrote these commandments with his finger. There's two different images that you can have of this. Of like God saying, now you've got all these rules and laws that you will abide by. Or hey, I love you and I want what is best for you. And so we've got to set some things up for, you, for me to be close to you. It's for you can, can be close to me, but so you can live and live a life that I would have for you. It's the same thing we do with our kids, right? You can't say you love your kid and be like, I don't have any rules about you playing in the street. Just go ahead, whatever. The way I love my kid is I let them have full freedom and reign of anything they want to do. That's not love. You have to create parameters if you truly love someone. And if you want to have close relationship, <laughs> these things happen. Okay, so that's what God's doing. He's setting these things up. And it's God saying, look, I want to be close to you. I care about you. When I was a kid, though, I remember my context for my God picture, if you will. And when I say that, if you close your my, your eyes right now and you try to visualize, what does God look like in my mind's eye? All of us are going to have a picture of that, and it's established by how we were raised, what male authority looked like in our lives, how our dad's relationship was with us. A lot of different things, they developed that God picture in our minds. But my God picture, most of my life growing up, was that God was just mad at me. And so I was kind of like walking on eggshells around God, like, oh, I'm just messing stuff up. I, I mean, I, I genuinely got saved when I was seven years old. I know that w- without a shadow of a doubt, but because of my God picture, I lived in this constant fear of being separated from God. So I went to these churches, but every once in a while they do these dramas, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Okay, if you've ever been to a Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames type drama, it literally scares the hell out of you. Like, you, you, it, because they these scenarios where it's like a family driving in a car going on a family vacation and you can tell some of the kids are a little rebellious and they're not very respectful and they get in a car wreck the lights go down when they come back up they're standing in heaven and there's an angel standing behind a table with the lamb's book of life with all these names written in it and they're all excited but then they go and ask is my name written yes it is so this music comes up and they welcome in to, to heaven but then another person comes in is my name written in and no lights go red because red is hell and and then these, these demon type figures come out of the backstage and they're real freaky, creepy looking and they grab them and they drag them down to hell. Look, you're sitting in an audience like 13 years old. You're like, I'm going to get saved again. I'm doing it again. I don't care. I would go to, I went to the altar over and over and over and over again but it wasn't because I needed to get saved again it was because my god picture was jacked up. It's because I didn't understand that when I made that profession of faith when I made Jesus my lord the boss of my life to have complete control that through that he saved me. But he loves me and he wants to be near me and close to me. Your God picture is going to determine how you receive his commandments. How you receive these parameters that he's setting up for you in your life. It's so important that you have a good God picture. I want to go to the scripture. Have your Bibles. By the way, we've got a new Bible. Uh, you're the Bible bookmarks for February. You, you can read them without a telescope this month, which is encouraging. I know uh, they're a little easier to read, so uh, you can track along with those. You have those around. Hopefully, in your chairs, you and get them out at the welcome center as well. But let's go to First John, First John, chapter five, starting in verse one. As soon as you got it, say "I got it." Okay, thirty of you. Cell phone service is a little slow sometimes. I get it. Uh, when you got it, say, I got it. Okay, cool. Everyone who believes that Jesus is a Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God. To obey his commands... And his commands are not burdensome. The context for obeying the commands is out of love, not obligation. When you understand God's love for you and you love God, you will want to obey his commands. But it is out of an overflow of relationship, not from a place of obligation condemnation, shame and guilt. It'll be because you have tasted and seen that he is good and that he loves you and so what motivates you to love him and to obey what he asks you to do. I love my wife Cody and I like her a lot too. Almost all the time. But here's the thing. I don't have to wake up in the morning and check my calendar for how I need to be loving her that day. I don't get my phone. I'd be like, okay, let's look at the daily schedule. Oh, three o'clock, hug Cody. Make sure I get that in there. Uh, 5 o'clock, get a kiss. I will definitely not be missing that one. Let's check my schedule for tomorrow. Oh, got a calendar reminder here. Do not commit adultery against Cody. Okay, make sure I pay attention to that one. Oh, don't lie or steal from her either. That's ridiculous. I do all those things because I love her. It is in my heart. It is easy to not commit adultery because it is a principle that is etched in the very core of who I am in my love towards her. It's not out of obligation. It's not because I feel like I have to. It's because I want to and because I get to. That's the kind of relationship that God wants to have. And that is actually the reason why he created these parameters in life. John 14, 15. It's wrong in your notes. I know it says John 14, 1, but it's John 14, 15. I love this verse. If you love me, you will obey what I command. There's two different ways you can read this in two different total tones. And a lot of us, the way we were raised, we heard it in different tones, okay? The first tone is this way. If you love me, you're gonna obey what I tell you to do. That's one tone. Sound familiar to anybody? Here's the other tone. Look, when when you love me, you're going to obey. When you love me, you're going to want to obey me. It just is going to happen that way. Because you love me and because you know I love you. That's what God wants. So let's get, get, get into these. The first two commandments are very similar to each other, okay? One has more to do with what can be happening in your thought life and in your heart. One is more represented maybe externally with things, but they're very similar. And that's simply this. Put God first. Put God first. Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, the second commandment. It's very similar. Verse 4. You shall not make any, other, any idols. You must never bow down to an image or worship it in any way. Okay? Now, a god or an idol is anything that dominates your life. Anything. It can be family. It can be a career. It can be a hobby. If there is anything that is dominating your life above God, it is a little g god. Or an idol. In your life, you have to put him as your number one priority. And Jesus is saying, Look, I understand. God is saying, I understand you're gonna have some things that you're gonna love in your life. God knows the things I love in my not life. He knows I love my wife. He knows I love my family. He knows I love my calling. He loves I love what I get to do. He knows that I love the outdoors. He knows that I love sports. He knows that I love popcorn. He knows that I love Sour Patch Kids. He just wants me to love him first. The he is the most important person I'm loving. Because at the end of the day, you can park an idol in your garage. You can sleep next to an idol every night. You can give birth to an idol in a hospital room. God just wants to be First first. He wants you to love him first. And if you love him first and make him your number one priority, the promise is he will add everything else unto you. But you love him first. This is a great verse, man. If you can get this, it's going to change your whole perspective. Deuteronomy 6.14. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people that you are, are that are around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you is a jealous God. Okay, let's think about this in the context of who God is. He is the creator of the universe. Okay, we can't even understand exactly what? But think about it this way that same creator is jealous for your attention. (laughs) He is possessive of your time, your thoughts, your energy, what you value. He is possessive. Look, some of you, you've been in a possessive relationship before and it wasn't good. Any, Any ladies around here, if you're in a possessive relationship with some dude, run, get out of there. But when it comes to God possessing you, It's the best place for everything in your life to be possessed is in him. In him and in his will and around his word and how it demonstrates itself in the body of Christ. He is jealous for you. He just wants to be around you. He wants you to want to be around him as well. But he's got to be number one. 7 billion people on the planet. I don't know the exact stats on this, but let's just say half of them are women, right? 3.5 billion women. Imagine if I went to my Cody with this, and any of you who know her, you know how this would go. Imagine I went to her and I said, baby, there's like 3.5 billion women on the whole planet. He's like, that's a lot of women. And I just want you to know that out of all those women, there's only a couple that I love a little more than you. I'll tell you how that would go. Some of y'all would have to pick me up because she would knock me out. Or she'd just cut me and bleed me out right there on the spot. Because she's always packing some sort of switchblade or something like that. I'm just telling you, you don't want to mess with my wife. But we do that. God, out of all of the time in my day and out of every hobby and out of every relationship and out of all of my possessions, I just want you to know that you're in like the top five on my priority list. (laughs) He's just saying, no, if if you want all of that to be blessed, if you really want all that to be fulfilling, put me first. Put me first. Worship me first. Spend time with me first. Show value to me first. Amen? Amen? Second thing is this, revere the name of God. Revere the name of God. Exodus 27. You shall not misuse the name of God, the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. That word misuse, it's, it's actually to make a false claim of It's telling a lie. It's misusing it. It's showing a lack of value and respect. Pastor Rick tells us this story. When he first got saved, and he was very zealous for the Lord, passionate like crazy. He was out of 7-Eleven. used to be a lot more of those around. and He went in there to get some gum. And while he was in there, this guy was there, got a bag of ice and accidentally dropped, and it kind of broke open. This guy just started cussing like crazy. And all the other expletives. And then he started throwing in some GDs. And Jesus Christ. And Rick just like lost it. He stood up and just yelled at the guy. He's like, dude, leave Jesus and God out of it. Why don't you say Buddha or Muhammad or something like that? But leave Jesus out of it. And then you realize that was really dumb. Because this guy could be violent. <laughs> and anyway, the guy wanted him leaving. And Rick went to check out. Has as we went to check out, the guy behind the counter is like, I want to let you know, I really like that Buddha thing. I really like that a lot. He's like, that's because you're a Hindu and you would like that a lot. The point is this. How passionate are you about respecting and holding God's name and high esteem? I want to tell you, I'm not always. It's so easy for us to get desensitized in our culture. Because everything we listen to, everything we watch, it's just like a filler word now. But it is not a filler word. It is God's name. And I think it's important that we respect it. Someone might ask, what is in a name? God says, there's a lot in my name. There's a lot in it. But let's just talk about names in general. What does it represent? It represents your reputation. You ever heard he's making a name for himself? Well, that could go one way or the other. Making a name for yourself can either be really positive or really negative. Let me prove it to you. I'll mention a few names, and you just tell me, or you think about it. I'm not going to put it out there positive or negative. You just think about it, and the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Hitler. Lance Armstrong. O.J. Simpson. Billy Graham, Tom Brady, <laughs> uh, Rosa Parks. I don't. Bill Clinton. A name represents people's reputation. What kind of reputation are we protecting for God? What do we hold his reputation up as? As his his sons and daughters. What does it look like for us? It also represents your character. You can't separate someone's name from their character. In the Bible, when someone's character would change, their name would change. Abram to Abraham, Simon to Peter, Saul to Paul. In a way, all of us have had our names changed from heathen to Christian, from lost to saved. When there is a change in your character, your name changes. It represents your character. Another thing, it represents your authority. Used to see this a lot in movies and TV shows, and I think it was probably said a lot more by law enforcement. Remember what they would say? They'd say, Stop in the name of the law, because the law carried authority. They didn't say, Stop in the name of Kanye West. <laughs> You'd be like, I don't even, I'm running. <laughs> because the name, there's something in it. It establishes authority. Look, there is a lot of authority in God's name. There's a a ton of authority in the name of Jesus. If we just throw it around flippantly, we diminish the authority that it has in our lives. On a mission field, there was a person that was demon-possessed. And this guy went over to them and started praying for them and trying to cast this demon out. And I'm not trying to freak you out. I just want to let you know this is a reality. It, it does not You don't see it as much here in the United States, a lot more hidden. Uh, but, but I've seen it, and I've seen it in foreign countries. And, and there, is, there is an enemy, and he hates us. And in the same way there were demon possessions in the Bible, it can still happen. So this guy, he had some demons. It was obvious the way he was acting, talking, the whole thing. And this guy went up and started praying for him, trying to help get rid of these demons. And in a voice not of that man's own, they said, you take the Lord's name in vain all the time. You have no authority in it. We don't have to listen to you. Hello. (laughs) Hello. There's authority in God's name. It's one of the reasons why we should honor and respect it. So how does this play out in your home? I think it's important for you to clamp down on on how God's name is thrown around. Use it as a coaching and teaching moment with your kids. Be aware of the media and the movies that they watch. Look, it can be almost unavoidable in some respects. But if you hear it and you hear it misled, make sure you make a point. Hey, we don't talk like that. We don't use God's name like that. We respect God's name. I think that's really important. The other thing is the rhythm of godly rest. The rhythm of godly rest. Exodus 28, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. God didn't just create life. He created the rhythm of life. He set it up from the very beginning. Work, 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 rest. There is a rhythm and it is for our good. It is for our good. Now, some of you, your rhythm is not like that. It's more like rest, 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 get a job. Uh, that is not what God has intended for you, okay? By the way, single ladies, if you're looking for a man, I just want to throw this out there. God gave Eve to Adam, but Adam had a job first, okay? So you don't have to settle. Don't get into those kind of situations. God has called us to, to be productive and to work. But some of you, you work seven days a week and think it's a badge of honor. It is not. It's sin. It is not a part of God's plan or will for your life. Because you weren't designed to carry that out. You weren't designed physically, spiritually, or emotionally. So here's the deal. You have to rest. Just sitting in a deer stand is not a Sabbath. Just sitting in a church service is not a Sabbath. You need both. You need to be recharged emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Everything about you needs to be recharged. A lot of you, that's what Sunday is supposed to be about. You need it. You need to have that rhythm in your life. Me, I work on Sunday. I don't always do a good job working on Sunday, but I work on Sunday. But come Monday, you ain't going to be able to get a hold of me. Because I'm going to Sabbath. I've got to recharge an unwillingness to rest is really just a sign of immaturity. I'll prove it. Think about your kids. <laughs> now, you may have a kid every once in a while. We've got a kid. He's ready to go to bed. He's asleep before we put him in bed. But he sleeps like most of the day. <laughs> so it's like, it's just the way he is. But most of our kids, they resist, right? Right? Especially they become teenagers. 11 o'clock rolls around, there, oh, I don't want. they don't want to go to sleep, they don't want to go to bed, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night. Adults, man, we get off work, 6.30, PJs are on. Ready to, we're ready to go, baby, let's do this. <laughs> we're going to get some sleep tonight. An unwillingness to rest is a sign of immaturity. God wants you to mature in Him. God also wants you to live a life that is sustainable. And truly fruitful. You will not be able to produce the fruit that God has called you to produce. If you don't work at all. Or if you work too much. Trust the rhythm of life that he set up. It works. Mark 2.27. Then he said to them the Sabbath was not made for man. Or the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. In other words we're not legalistic. There's times when money will come up and emergency happens and I'm going to have to do some work. But my heart, my mentality is, I know that this is what I need to do. And so I'm going to find that some way. But it's for our benefit. That's what it is for. For us to be successful. And I think we need to respect it. Because if you do, God will bless everything that you're doing. You know, in in, in Jewish culture... In the Bible times, you got paid every day for what you did that day. That's how you got paid. If you worked a day, you got paid for that day. So the Sabbath meant that that day you didn't get paid. Which means that day is when you're truly trusting God. There needs to be a day where you can slow down long enough and say, my hope is not in my career and the money I'm making there. My hope is in God who gave me the career and gave me the ability to do these things. So you got to slow down long enough to give him that trust. That's what he would want for you. One pastor on our staff said that a church he worked at, the pastor of that church said, well, the devil doesn't take a day off and neither do we. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in letting the devil be my standard of living. (laughs) I want to live according to the way God has set it up. Amen. The last thing is this, continually honor your parents. I could talk about this for a really long time. It really resonates inside of us as pastors. You can see it across our culture. There is a lack of honor all over the place. A lack of honor for law enforcement, a lack of honor for our military, a lack of honor for certain offices. Did you know Ronald Reagan, when he was president, he would not set foot into the Oval Office without putting on a full suit? Like, let's just say he needed to get a pen, and that was it. He would not set foot into the Oval Office without putting on a full suit, and that's just an office. And we all know there's been some other things that have happened that in that office that have not been that honorable. But there's this principle of honor that we are missing, but how it plays out in every other area of our life, it starts with our parents. It starts with how we are honoring the authority and the people that God has positioned in our life. Exodus twenty twelve, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Okay, this is the only commandment that comes with a promise. It's saying basically wherever God has put you in life, wherever He has set you up, if you want to experience blessing, you need to remember to honor your parents. Honor and obedience are different. When you are little, you need to honor and obey. But as you get older, you still have to honor, but it doesn't mean that you have to obey everything your parents are telling you to do. Because you can have some really controlling parents that are trying to tell the 30-year-old son or daughter everything they need to do in their life. But you can still honor them. So I want to be totally vulnerable. This is an area I'm working on right now. And it's hard. One of the reasons why God doesn't like divorce, and I'm not, if you walk through divorce, the past is in the past. You don't have to go back and live there with any kind of guilt or, or, or shame or Regret or anything like that, understand covenant now, move forward, but one of the reasons why God hates divorce is what it is what it does in the the hearts of the kids in respect to honor it's very confusing in my family, it may not have been this way for any of you that came from a broken home, but my parents were Christians. they said they loved the Lord and the Word of God, and so all of a sudden their divorce it was hard for me. How do I still really respect this? How do I honor this? And I have not always done a good job at it. When I'm working on it now and I try to make sure, my parents live on opposite sides of the country. <laughs> my dad lives in northern Idaho, close to the Canadian border. My mom lives in San Antonio, close to the Mexican border. It's a little bit of a representation of their relationship. Let's just put it that way. But we don't live close to either of them. And, 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 and it would be real easy for me, like, oh, I moved on. I've got my own life, my own kids, all this stuff, you know, whatever. And, but I want to make a point that I'm calling them. And I value them. I just value Look, they made plenty of mistakes. There are no perfect parents. There aren't any perfect parents. Every one of my kids fell off, got bounced off, or dropped off, Of our bed at one point or another onto their heads. Thank God for His mercy and that He created them without a formed memory when they're little. Amen? Okay? But none of us are perfect. We have all made mistakes. None of us will always be heroes to our kids. And some of you, your parents are not worthy of honor because they were abusive, they were manipulative, they still are. Does it mean that honoring them means that you just ignore the pain? No. But you can still honor the position. You can still honor the fact that, guess what? No, you didn't pick them. But guess what? They didn't pick you either. God picked it. And if God picked it, you should honor it. Even if it's jacked up. And Jim's just trying to figure out, as jacked up as it is, God knew it. So what is he trying to build inside of me? But I'll guarantee you one of the things he's not trying to build inside of you is dishonor. He still wants you to honor and respect them because this will establish so much in your life. Look, how you interact with other people, how you interact with authority, how you deal with confrontation, how you deal with all this, I believe that it stems from your understanding of what true honor and respect means, especially with your parents. So if you're having a difficult time in relationships and around bosses and around authority and around all these different things, I would go to your heart on your parents. I would ask God, God, is there something in them? Maybe they were abusive. Maybe there were all these things. Maybe maybe you didn't even know them. But you had some authority in your life. Do you truly honor them? With my dad, his biggest thing is he just wants his experience, his knowledge to be validated. That's it. He just wants me to ask him questions about... What I'm doing in my life, and if I'm making good choices. Does that mean I just take everything as the gospel and be like, I'm going to go do that right away? Not necessarily, but I honor him to ask him. I just care. We're all going to be in this pattern. This is the way it goes. Age four, man, my folks can do anything. Age seven, my folks know everything. Age eight, my folks don't quite know everything. Age 12, my folks don't know much. Age 14, my folks are helplessly old fashioned. Age 21, my folks are completely out of date. Age 25, my folks know a little bit, but not much. Age 30, I've got a big problem. I better find out what the folks would think. Age 35, we need to get the folks' opinion on this, what we're going to decide. Age 50. What would my folks have thought about this? Age 60. Man, my folks knew almost everything. Age 65. Man, I wish I could talk it over one more time with my folks. We need to appreciate, honor, respect, love, forgive, cooperate, and value all authority that has been placed in our lives, especially our parents. And I think so much of it stems out of that. It says this in First Timothy 5, 4. They should put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I think so much of... Of where that is, it starts with the first command we talked about, and that is putting God first. It's putting God first. Like, I I, I just guarantee you, if God was not first in my life, I don't know that I would have the same perspective on honor and respect. There's just, I don't think I would have it. It's only by His grace. It's only by knowing who I am in Him. And knowing that He loves me. And knowing that He wants to protect me. And knowing that that His law and, and all these things, it is for my good. It's me understanding that through relationship through his son Jesus that gives me any amount of grace to live out the honor and the respect and all these principles. So I want to just give an opportunity in self-evaluating. Would you be honest enough to say that Jesus is not number one in your life? And you may even identify yourself as a believer and as a Christian, but a Christian, that means that he is Lord. Lord is overall. It is first. It is the priority. And if Jesus is your Lord, then he will be your first priority. Maybe you're in this place and you made that commitment, but you know right now he is not number one. And that might mean you need to rededicate your life to him this morning. Reestablish him on the throne of your heart, on the throne of your life. Or maybe you just never have done that. You've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And I'd love to just give you an opportunity to respond to him in this moment, respond to what the Spirit is speaking to you. Nobody looking around, if that's you, I wanna pray with you. Just as a sign of you confessing that that's you, just ask you to slip your hand up right now. As soon as I see you, put it down, got it back here, yes, yes, yes. Over here, got it, guys, thanks. There at the back, thanks, got it. Anybody else? Yeah, got it. Anybody over here I didn't see? As soon as I see you, you put your hand down. I just want you to know that I see you. I see you making this confession. Thanks, man, praise God. Anybody else? I just need to make Jesus number one. Make him my Lord and my Savior. Okay. If that's you, you can make a private decision right there in your seat. At one point or another, you need to go public with that decision. The word says, you believe in your heart, confesseth your mouth, then you'll be saved. But there in your chair, you can just have a conversation with God and say a prayer like this. Say, Heavenly Father, I, I admit that I've sinned. I know I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to pay the price on the cross for my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. I thank you that he rose from the grave. Right now, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. I make you number one. My highest priority. There's nothing more important. And I I may struggle with this at times, but I want to wake up with with my heart, my intention being, I want to know you more. I want to know your plan. I want to experience your love and walk in your grace and, In greater ways than I have before. And in that, I'll know what it means to live for you as my Lord. So lead me by your Spirit. Just speak to me and direct me by your word and support me and encourage me with the body of Christ. Thank you. Thank you for your commandments. Thank you for the structure that you have set up, God, that that protects me. proof of your love for me it's proof of the relationship that you desire to have with me we want to live in freedom in these things God every day be our number one help us to honor help us to respect to be the men and women that you've called us to be and to be your sons and daughters we thank you for your love that allows us to do that Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're thankful for God's word, let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Come on. Praise God. Come on, let's all stand together. We're going to continue to worship God this morning. If you made a decision this morning, rededicate your life, give your life to God, please let us know on your Connect card. We want to just be praying for you and celebrate with you in that. If you have any prayer requests at all, anybody in our family, um, and maybe it, maybe it's something that you just, you need to kind of keep private, that's totally okay, let us know. We have a prayer team that would love to pray about that. Our staff will pray about it. Um, I encourage you to take it to your life group. Let them know. They'd love to pray with you about those things as well. Uh, I want to give you an update on our building project. Our slab is completely poured. It's done. The slab's done. Praise God. So there are not a lot of times that you're going to be able to go out there and check things out because we got them working a lot of hours every day right now, um, which is we're getting a lot of progress towards the end of this next week. The metal is going to show up. So uh, the metal will probably take us a couple weeks to get that up. We'll get it wrapped. Then we'll be in the dry and we'll be able to make some really good progress from that point forward. So all that to say, thank you to everybody who is giving to that vision. You can look around you. Look, we need some space folks. We need some room. Uh, we're reaching people every week. Every week, people are getting saved. Every week, people are making this their home. And we just want to be able to, to continue to do that, continue to reach our city and community. So for every person that is giving sacrificially above and beyond their tithes and your offerings, for that building, thank you. Don't get weary in well-doing. We've, 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 got, we've got more to do. We want to get that building paid for. So that release his finances to be do, able to do even more. If you haven't committed to being a part of the vision, it's not too late. You can still get on board. Uh, we actually have commitment cards that are bought next to these boxes over here by the doors. Just get those. Pray about them with your family. Get with God and see if God would lead you to, to be a part of that vision because at one point or another, we're going to stand in that new building and we're going to see this harvest that is coming in. We're going to see the baptisms. We're going to see the students. We're going to see all these families that are getting connected, these, these marriages that are being healed. And I, What I want for all of us is for you to be able to stand there as an individual and say, thank you, God, for giving me the opportunity to be a part of this. Not just in how I attend, but how I invest and trust in you. I think I, that's what I would want for everybody that feels like that's what they want to be a part of. So I'd encourage you to pray about that. Look at this verse together. It's out of a psalm we read this last week. The most famous psalm ever. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. When he anoints us, that's talking all about his blessing. It's talking about his presence. It's talking about how he he just overflows us. But what I love about this is right before this is you prepare a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. Look, what that's saying is In your place of fear, in your place of discouragement, in your place of of confusion, worry, and all these things, God is there, and he is going to take care of you. And even in the middle of those seasons, if you will trust him, he is going to pour himself out on your life to where you overflow with his presence and his blessing. Amen. Let's pray over our giving this morning. God bless everything that we're about to give, every person that's already given online or through the app. Everything that we're going to give now in this service, our tithes as obedience, our offerings as we're led by your spirit. Every person that is continuing in their commitments towards the new building. Bless it all, God. Use it for your will, for your kingdom, for the value of souls. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get together. Why?